All righty, while uh, some of our friends are uh, making their way to their seats, let me uh, just draw your attention to um, some things that I hope will be of interest to you. Uh, have you been enjoying the theological studies or the answer, studying the questions to the theological exam? And um, here's some resources that can help you in continuing your study. Uh, the Handbook of Evangelical Theology by Robert Leitner, a longtime professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. He's just an excellent, excellent uh, resource, a good uh, systematic theology. And then this one, Summary of Christian Doctrine by Louis Burkhoff. And um, he's a great, great, well-known, highly respected uh, older theologian. Very, very helpful. Also, I wanted to mention uh, the uh, Christian's uh, Guide to Psychological Terms. Um, this is the revised edition based off the DSM-5, which just came out. And uh, you may want to go by and take a look at it. If you're not familiar with it, you, it deals with over 200 of the common psychological uh, disorders and you can open up to just any one of them. Across the top will be a brief summary of what that particular psychological disorder is and some of the characteristics about it. And then down the left, it talks about the behaviors that lead to somebody getting that label. I mean, basically it says, you act like this, you get this label. And um, then the authors in the right column rephrase what's over here in biblical terminology. And so you can help the people with the behavior that has led them to get that particular, particular label. And it's a great, great resource <clears throat> written by two of our um, uh, members uh, that live down in Texas. I hope you'll go by and take a look at it. Also, have you noticed uh, the HELP series? And here's one I want to draw your attention to because it's such a um, hot-button issue. It's called HELP, My Teen Struggles with Same-Sex Attraction. And if you've paid attention to what's happening in the news this week with uh, President Obama's statement um, speaking against conversion, what's typically called conversion therapy for people struggling with gender identity, and that grows out of a, a teenage, a young teenage boy who wanted to view himself or viewed himself as a girl committing suicide back in December down near Cincinnati, not too far from where we live. And so uh, this is written by one of our members, Ben Marshall, and it's a tremendous little booklet. Again, I draw your attention to this, and there's several other very, very helpful booklets. And if you've not taken time to, to look at those, there's always uh, new materials coming out, and I try to keep up on resources I think would be helpful to you in your counseling ministry. And if you've not taken time to go by and carefully look at some of those, I hope you'll do that either uh, later today at the next break or maybe next, next month when we're back. All righty. And have you had a good weekend? This is the first time they've let me back here with you, and <laughs> I have understood that you've been riding high, and I have been exhorted, Randy, don't mess it up. We've got something going good back there, so I'll, uh, I'll try, to, try to keep things in good shape. Find your notes, please, that are entitled, uh, uh, Getting Your Counseling Off to a Good Start. And with our notes in front of us, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we pray that you would give us energy and uh, stamina in the afternoon, time of the day when for some of us we'd begin to flag a bit and uh, we would struggle to be as alert as we want to be. Uh, help us all to do our best. I pray you would help me to teach in a way that's clear and precise, that's genuinely equipping, particularly to the beginning biblical counselors. I pray that those who are veterans would uh, still gain some insight that would help them to be more effective for your honor and glory. 
And I pray that as a result of this particular session that uh, each participant here would think, I can use the Word of God to minister to hurting people, and I can do it with confidence and skill and compassion. And we want this, Lord, for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, please find your notes that are entitled, Getting Your Counseling Off to a Good Start. How you start a counseling case influences how you finish. An awkward, stumbling beginning frequently hinders the counselor's effectiveness. It adds to the pressure and the nervousness he may already be experiencing, and it may raise questions about his competence in the minds of the counselee. This particular workshop is designed to aid beginning biblical counselors in developing procedures that will assist them in getting off to a good start as they begin formal counseling. Practical suggestions regarding subsequent sessions will also be provided. Preparation is the key. And I would encourage you to underline that sentence, preparation is the key. And I'm going to talk to you about six key areas in which to prepare yourself. Now, I am aware that I'm talking to the advanced track at the Counseling Discipleship Training. I'm also aware that multiple uh, people in front of me are ACBC certified, and others of you who aren't certified intend to get right with God and get certified one of these days. (laughs) But I also know, and many of you have attended our training events year after year, I'm thankful for that. But I also know that just because people have attended multiple training classes doesn't mean that they view themselves as a uh, competent biblical counselor. And um, so this particular workshop is designed for those of you who maybe would view yourself as a beginner or as a novice, and I'm hoping that even the veterans will pick up some ideas that will help them to be even more effective than they are right now. But the key is preparation. Preparation is the key in six particular areas. First of all, it's important that you prepare yourself. To prepare yourself means that you confess known sin in your own life and seek forgiveness of God and appropriate people. It's really hard in a counseling session to be exhorting somebody as the path out of their heartache and difficulties is to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, love their neighbor as themselves, commit yourself to living holy and totally for the Lord Jesus Christ, obey the scriptures, and so forth. It's hard to exhort somebody to be doing that while your own heart is condemning you. Don't ask me how I know that. And uh, so the first step in doing formal biblical counseling is to just say, okay, how am I doing? And how are things between me and the Lord? How are the things between me and other people? Just like some of you pastors know that one of the benefits of being a pastor and studying the scriptures for Sunday is you get preached at in the study regularly before you go preach to other people. One of the joys of being a biblical counselor and helping people solve problems is you're reminded regularly what happens when people don't, violate, don't listen to the scriptures and you're exhorted to walk Uh, humbly before your God. So confess known sin. Second, I would encourage you to meditate on scripture that will encourage you for the task at hand. In other words, when you're going to be doing counseling, maybe for an evening or an afternoon and evening, and you're getting yourself set up for your counseling ministry, I would encourage you to meditate on some scripture that just strengthens you for that day. And uh, the way I've done it for years is when I'm getting all set up for counseling and I try to group my counseling so I may have an afternoon and evening lined up. And what I'll do is I'll kind of get my stuff all set up and then I'll take my Bible and I'll sit down and I'll just start leafing through it beginning and usually in the book of Psalms. 
and I just start leafing through it and looking at verses in the past that I had underlined and just reviewing them. Most of us underline things in our Bible that at one time or another were meaningful to us for some reason. And uh, <clears throat> so I just leaf through the Bible until I come across a passage that I haven't thought about for a while or a passage that I find particularly encouraging or exhorting or instructive for the day. And then I just meditate on that. And then I will pray over that passage and what it says to me and my ministry that's coming during the day. And it's amazing in the course of doing, you know, five or six counseling sessions, how many times over the day I end up using that passage to help somebody, you know, that I began uh, the day with. Now, uh, for some of you, if you want to, um, if you don't mark your Bible and you want some suggestions on where to go, go to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. That's a fabulous passage that talks about what the Word of God does, how it changes people. Or go and read, start reading Psalm 119. Every single verse in Psalm 119 talks about the Bible and what it does to encourage us. Or go to places like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You're familiar with it. All scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. Or go to things like uh, Hebrews 9, 20, um, Hebrews 4, 12. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Second uh, Peter 1.3, we have everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, go to some of those well-known passages, and the point is, meditate on the scriptures so that uh, you are strengthened in the inner man for the task at hand. Point C, I would encourage you to review the PDI forms and the basic information sheet for first-time cases. Now, in order to do that, that assumes that you have the personal data inventory, or the PDI forms, and you have the basic information sheets in hand. One of the things that I observe with many people that I supervise is um, they, uh, they, when people ask for counseling, they will send them the forms. Uh, many people have been taught, okay, you need to ask people to get the forms back, but many times people don't get them back to you, and so they will bring them to the counseling session and hand them to you. And if you're a beginning biblical counselor, that puts you at a distinct disadvantage. I mean, you're already nervous, and that just makes it even harder for you in the first counseling session. So my exhortation to you is when people ask you for counseling, uh, the, the wiser way to proceed, I believe, is for you to say, here's a couple forms. I'm eager to help you. I need you to fill these out. And after I get these back, we will schedule your session. And don't schedule the session until you've got the, 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 the paperwork in hand. And I would suggest you need it in hand 48 hours before the session. And if you're a beginner, you need time to read it, carefully think about it, kind of organize yourself and how you're going to you know, kind of get your act together so that you go into the session with a good plan and you're well prepared. And I would urge you, be hard-nosed about that. Because if you're not hard-nosed, people will say, you know, well... You know, can't you talk to us tomorrow? I mean, th this is really important. And people will put pressure on you. And I just would encourage you to say, you know, I'm really eager to help you, but I want to do a good job helping you. And if I'm going to do my best, I need these forms filled out, and I need to think about them and pray about them for 48 hours. So fill them out and get them back to me. And, you know, uh, put the pressure uh, back on them. Uh, <clears throat> point D, I would encourage you to... Uh, uh, review your notes from previous sessions if this is a case in progress. Make sure that as you're in the session, going into the session, you realize that this is Roger and Teresa you're talking to. Not partway through the session, you realize, no, this is Jerry and Connie I'm talking to. 
again, don't ask me how I know that. Uh, so I review your notes from previous sessions. Make sure you know who you're talking to. Uh, point E, <coughs> evaluate your performance in previous sessions and determine appropriate adjustments. Evaluate your performance in previous sessions and determine appropriate adjustments. Um, when I mentioned that, the, 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 the circumstance that immediately comes to my mind was an event that happened a few years ago where I had a, like five or six cases on, a, on an afternoon and evening, and most of my sessions are moving along pretty well except for one. And with this one, we're making kind of incremental progress. It's not what I would call quantum progress like I was seeing with some of my others. And um, one day I just got to sitting down and I reviewed the file and I was stunned. Here we are coming up on session six. I've had five sessions with them. And some of the things that I always seem like, I always teach, get taught in those first five sessions had not been accomplished. And I thought, wow, what is going on here? And I thought carefully about just my sessions with them and what, what occurred to me was this. I had got a little bit lazy, and I was greeting and starting most of my counseling sessions. When people come in, I'd say, hi, how are you? How's your week been? And uh, with most people, that was you know, just fine. Except with this couple I'm telling you about, uh, this is a couple that's living from crisis to crisis. And when I asked them, what's your week been like? In effect, I handed them the agenda. Because they always had a story or two or three to tell about what their week's been like. And sometimes they get to tell them the story, the wife ends up crying, and then I think, okay, Randy, you got her crying right at the beginning, now you got to do something to try to help her. And in effect, when I asked that couple, How, what has your week been like, I handed them the agenda. And I thought, man, I can't do that anymore. So I made a mid-course correction. When they came in that day, I said, hi, it's great to see you, go ahead and have your seat, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. I prayed, asked for God's help, said amen, and the next words out of my mouth were, take your Bible please and open to, and I started teaching the Bible. And from the time I made that mid-course correction, we started making progress. All right. So I just want to encourage you, sometimes if we're not seeing the kind of progress we want with our counselees, the problem is not always on that side of the desk. Sometimes the problem is on this side of the desk. And we, may, we need to evaluate our performance and make some appropriate mid-course correction. So prepare yourself. Number two, prepare the counseling room. Here are five actions that I think will help you to prepare the counseling room. First of all, I would exhort you to plan to sit at a table or a desk. And in my mind, there is wisdom in sitting at a table or a desk because for me as a counselor, or sitting at a table, like a one of these folding tables, um, that becomes my workbench. That's where I practice my craft. I mean, I got my Bible there, my note, my, uh, the file folder from the counselees. I got the note paper I'm taking. I got homework assignment sheets. I may have the book we're working at. Later, after session one, they usually bring their Bibles back. They got their Bibles up on the desk and so forth. And, and I am aware that there is a discussion in... Um, Biblical and counseling circles that the desk is off-putting and distance you from people. And uh, even I know some of our biblical counselors like to sit in chairs and pull them in a circle and so forth. Personally, I'm not particularly moved by that. Um, um, I think the best way to do it is just, they're not coming for a social visit. All right? I mean, this, this is business from my side of the desk, and they're not coming to start a new friendship with you. They're coming because they want help. 
And so I think plan to sit where you can get your stuff organized and um, have things right at hand. Then on the desk, I would encourage you to place the counselee's file, an open Bible, note paper, pen, homework assignment sheets, and a clock. And then clear the remainder of the desk to make it easy for the counselee to place his Bible, homework, pamphlets, books, etc., and so forth on it. Uh, prepare the counseling room by doing those three things. In addition, number four, point D, confirm that you have available a marker, a marker for the whiteboard that's not dried out, tissues for drying tears, and your calendar for scheduling the next appointment. I mean, get yourself ready. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as, as a fellow, when I'm supervising people pursuing certification, one of the requirements is that I have to listen to five audio sessions of, a, um, of the person I'm supervising. And my custom is I ask people to submit three audio sessions, sessions number one, two, and three with somebody within the first ten cases I supervise. And um, last month I started supervising uh, a woman in another part of the country that I'm sure none of you would know her. And um, she, she's, a, she's a good woman and has a real heart to help people, but her training and she needs to hear this workshop. Because in the counseling session, the woman coming in is just heartbroken, is uh, facing a, di a divorce and everything, and sh the woman cries through much of the session. You can hear it in the audio. And uh, the woman at one point runs out of Kleenex and asks the counselor, do you have any Kleenex? She says no. And uh, so the lady gets up one time. I mean, the counselee gets up, leaves the room, and goes to the restroom, can't find any Kleenex there, and she comes back with, you know, half a roll of toilet paper wadded up. I'll just imagine that. And the first time, by the way, the counselee never came back. Surprise, surprise. After the counselor was that ill-prepared to help people. When, um, when I talked with her about it, she said, well, in my training, I was taught that if you have Kleenex there, that it encourages people to cry. And I said, well... Um, I said, my experience is a lot of women are going to cry in session one because we're talking about hard things. And I said, you don't have to advertise it, but you need a bottle, box of Kleenex in the drawer or on, by your feet so that when she starts crying, you can say, here. Or, I mean, just think, you know. <laughs> Get ready. So confirm that you have available those matters. Point E, this is significant. Mute cell phones, desk phones, the stereo, clock chimes, anything that might be distracting. In our culture, uh, I think one of the things we've, we're going to all have to start doing is when, when I start a session now, I say, okay, let's all do this together, and I pull out my phone, and I say to them, I'm shutting my phone off because I'm going to give you my undivided attention, and I want you to do the same. And it is amazing how if you don't do that, at the worst possible times, people get a phone call, and in many cases, they'll go ahead and take the phone call. And... Um, I tell people, especially if they have children, I say, listen, uh, tell your babysitter, tell them the church's number, and, you know, if you've got a receptionist at the church, or say they can call, if there's a true emergency, the secretary will come get us. And, but for now, I'm going to give you my undivided attention. You've got to turn them off and um, do that. If some of you are counseling at your home, like at your kitchen table or dining room table and so forth, I would encourage you to invite... Um, somebody into your home that's not been there or hasn't been there for a good while 
and ask them to sit at your kitchen table or dining room table where the counselee will sit and say, just sit there for a while and tell me what you hear. Because in most of our homes, we've got clocks and chimes and refrigerators that are on their last leg or something that, you know, is making, making a lot of noise, which to somebody new in the home is going to be distracting. And I'm just thinking that one of the ways you can show consideration of your counselees is to say, somebody just tell me, because those of us who lived in it, you know, it's just like uh, we become immune to it. You know, it's like people who live next to railroad tracks. After a while, they don't even hear the chains go by. And, but visitors in the home will hear them, you see. So we want to be uh, alert to those matters. All right, number three. Prepare your biblical counseling toolbox with basic resources. And in my mind, there are uh, five categories to consider. First of all, I would encourage you to have a Bible to loan or give away as needed. And ideally, I think the Bible ought to be the version that's used by you and or by the pastor of the church where you're going to encourage people to attend the services. In, in my experience, um, with most people do not bring a Bible, even if they're church leaders, they don't bring a Bible to the first session, so you have to tell them to, to do that. If you're working with people from the community, and I'm hoping that many of you are going to organize and formalize your church's counseling ministry so it can be an effective outreach to the community, um, I would encourage you to um, get some Bibles, and you know they're typically called pew Bibles. They're very inexpensive, but they ought to be in the version that the pastor is going to be using. My experience is that if you're dealing with people from the community and if you ask them if they have a Bible, they'll say yes. I'll ask, do you know where it is? I remember this one couple I did this with. The husband—it's a second marriage for each of them. The husband turns to his wife and says, "We got a Bible, don't we?" And she says, "Yeah, I think we do." And I said, "Well, do you know where it is?" She said, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll get it. We have a Bible." And she says, "We'll bring it next week." Well, they come back next week with what I call one of these show-off Bibles. You know, they're about this thick and about this big. You know, and well, they come marching in with their show-off Bible, and. Uh, you know, it's one of those that's got, you know, 25 pages for your family tree and everything in it and all these beautiful pictures and everything. And all the show-off Bibles I've seen are in the hardest version to read for people in America today. All right? So what I would encourage you to do is get a version, get something, and you ought to have it so that if they don't have a Bible, you say, well, here, until you find yours, here, why don't you just use this one? And um, have a Bible to loan or to give away. Second, I would encourage you in your biblical counseling toolbox to develop some pamphlets, to include some pamphlets by Jay Adams. And these are the What to Do When series. And if you go out into the book room, right before you go down the steps, down into the uh, lobby area, right to the, the rack right there, right across the top, are these six pamphlets. And they deal with the most common problems that people uh, face uh, in life, about marriage, anger, uh, worry, um, depression, habits, and so forth. They're 33 cents each, very inexpensive. I keep those in my toolbox all the time. Uh, so get some of those pamphlets. I find those to be very, very helpful in session one because it gets people pointed toward Christ, toward the scriptures. Uh, it's not intimidating, even to people that struggle to read. They open up the little pamphlet, you know, it's like an eight and a half by 11 or maybe an eight and a half by 14. It's not very big. And they all think, I can read that. And um, it's a good way to get people started. So get those pamphlets. Point C, I would also get some key booklets. And uh, I'll tell you some, I will tell you the ones that I keep in my counseling toolbox all the time. 
and then I'll mention some others that you may want to have nearby. Uh, those first grouping by J, uh, Christ in your problems, godliness through discipline, how to handle trouble and how to overcome evil, I keep those in my toolbox all the time. And um, those are just major resources that I've used for years and they just work for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I keep using the phrase, my toolbox, and here's what I mean by that. Um, I, um, I went to one of our local stores and I got a plastic box opens up that's big enough I can put a file folder in it. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen those? And um, I keep that in there. And the things that are in that is what I call my basic counseling toolbox. And um, I keep that in my office down in my basement. But when people come to counsel, I do counseling at our dining room table. So when I'm going to go for a counseling session, grab the toolbox, march upstairs. That's where I do my my counseling. Now I have access to other resources, but these are the ones that I keep, these are my go-to things. It's kind of like um, my tool toolbox at home. Um, you know, it's a, it's a gray plastic container and it's got my favorite wrench in it, my favorite hammer in it, my favorite channel locks in it, vice grips, my favorite screwdrivers and so forth. And I can fix a lot of stuff around our house with that little toolbox, all right? But then there's some other things that demand other tools, and out in the garage I've got a red toolbox with sliding drawers and a whole lot of other tools that I use on occasion. You understand the difference? So when I'm talking about my counseling toolbox, I'm referring to the grab-and-go one that I can help a lot of people with, but if I need other resources, then I've got another um, set of tools, another place I can go get other things. So in my booklet area, I keep those four by J. Christ in your problems is an exposition of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you. That's a great booklet to give people hope. Godliness through discipline is an exposition of 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 about disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's a great book to follow up your teaching on progressive sanctification. How to Handle Trouble is an exposition of Philippians 1, 12 to 26, where Paul was in prison when he wanted to be out uh, preaching and teaching, you know, where's God when you need Him? And uh, it's a great, great way to help people have a, develop a biblical view of trials and suffering. And uh, How to Overcome Evil is an exposition of Romans 12, 14 to 21. Remember that passage, bless those who curse you, bless and curse not, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is a great, it's a wonderful book, booklet, to use with anybody who's being done wrong to. And, uh, for example, that's one of the books I frequently use when I'm counseling a woman whose husband has left her and is living with uh, another woman in an immoral relationship, and her whole world's caving in around her, and she's asking questions like, you know, what do I do when it's his weekend to have the kids, and he's with that woman and everything, and very, very helpful book. Here's some others that, um, the ones by Robert Jones and David Pallison, I typically don't keep in my uh, mobile counseling toolbox, but I have access to them. Uh, Robert's book, Angry at God, or Bad Memories, Forgiveness, Restoring Your Broken Marriage, or Single Parents, they're all excellent booklets. And I'd encourage you to become familiar with them if you're not. David Pallison's an excellent writer, and I like particularly his writing on anger, is really helpful, and also God's love, pornography, all of those are really, really helpful. Now, the ones with Stuart, most of the ones by Stuart, I keep in my mobile toolbox. From Pride to Humility, I keep a couple copies of that in there. 
and Communication Conflict Resolution. I keep a couple copies in. And then his newer book, Killing Sin Habits. Um, I really like that one and keep that um, there as well. Uh, the one, um, he has one on anger, anxiety, and fear, and I don't, I don't keep that one in there because I, I like some other things better. All right, <clears throat> so we've talked about a Bible to give away, uh, pamphlets, some booklets. Now point uh, D in our outline. Here, I keep in my t mobile toolbox some often used books for homework. And um, these are the ones that have been, uh, I have found to be um, good for me. I've had good success in using these in the past. And I would liken it to, you know, having my, f my favorite set of pliers. I mean, there's other pliers I can use, but when I'm doing the home repairs things, there's one plier I like to have best. It fits my hand the best. And with some of these, these are the ones that just fits me the best. You may find other books that fit you, but after you do enough counseling, most of us, we start hitting our stride with what we like to use with particular problems. And what you like may be a little bit different than mine, and that's fine. But here are the ones, if, if you're not familiar with these as beginners, I encourage you, think about starting with these. And um, they're, they're just excellent. Um, <clears throat> for example, Strengthening Your Marriage by Wayne Mack is the book I use primarily in my remedial marital counseling. Gospel Treason by Brad Bigney is just outstanding in trying to help people understand the idols of the heart. By the way, uh, if you go to uh, Brad's uh, website, I think uh, you can download or you can get the audios of that. And I've, some of the people that I'm supervising um, had counselees that struggled to read, but man, they are loving that sermon series and listening to Brad. You all know what a wonderful communicator he is. It's a tremendous series. Um, uh, the Heart of Anger by Lou Priolo uh, is, a, is a tremendous book on parent-child issues. In my experience, the number one reason why parents come in for counseling about their children is because their children are struggling with anger and typically it's fighting at school. They've gotten trouble with, at the school. Bullying such a um, hot issue these days that if a child, um, if, if a child fights at school, it's not uncommon for the school to demand that the family get counseling for the child. And that's what I see has brought some children in. I love the book, The, the Heart of Anger by Lou because he starts dealing with the issue of anger right in session one. Uh, the Way of Purity uh, by Cleveland is the number one book that uh, I have used in the past when I'm dealing with people enslaved to sexual sin. I'd really encourage you to get it. It's a 60-day devotional and um, I don't have my counselees do one a day. I have them do like three or four a week, and then we discuss it. It's very, very uh, helpful. I would encourage you to, to look at that. I'm a big fan of uh, Dr. Lambert, Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free, and um, a lot of our counselors are finding that to be very successful, and I'll be using that more and more. Um, it's a new one. If you don't have that, either one of these books, I encourage you to get them, become familiar with them. And then point E, there's also some personal aids that you may want to add to your toolbox just to, to help you or at least have these available to you. One is the homework manual for uh, biblical counseling volumes one and two. And for those of you that are beginning biblical counselors and you're struggling a bit on, okay, what kind of homework do I use for anger? What about, what's a good homework for communication problems? Or if someone's struggling with 
sexual issues. What, what's good homework? These books will really, really help you. Um, then also the last one in that list, the Christian Growth and Discipleship Manual, is intended to be volume three in the homework manual series. It's, it's a little different format, but uh, those are all tremendous, tremendous workbooks. And for those of you who teach the scriptures, like in youth group, uh, Sunday school classes, small ladies Bible, or, uh, small groups or ladies Bible studies or men growth group or something, these books are tremendous, tremendous outlines that you can use. And if you buy the books, the author gives you the privilege of making copies of it for use in your counseling and in your small group ministries. You can't make mass copies, but you can do it in your discipleship ministry. And these books are just tremendous. Uh, I would encourage you to get them. The middle one is the quick scripture reference for counselors. And um, those are tremendous. And you've seen that we've just got brand new editions of biblical counseling for youth, for men, for women. Uh, that whole series has uh, really grown and developed. Okay. Prepare yourself, prepare the room, prepare your toolbox. Number four, prepare a tentative agenda. Prepare a tentative agenda. Good starts lead to good finishes. And good starts um, come as the result of preparation and planning carefully what you're going to do and what you're going to do when and the chronology and so forth. So for those of you that are beginning biblical counselors, here's what I would suggest for a first-time session. And uh, this is an, an agenda that I followed hundreds of times, and um, I would just say that you can, this will work and uh, lead to a good first session. So I start with uh, some chit-chat, building involvement. And uh, you, know, you may ask them how traffic was getting here, how they heard about your counseling center, uh, if they're wearing a sports jersey or something that indicates uh, uh, interest in a particular sports fan, I may ask them about their team or something. Uh, for me, the, in session one, the chit-chat is usually, you know, three or four minutes. Uh, I don't view myself particularly as a chit-chatty type guy. And I keep reminding myself, they are here not to make a friendship. They are here because their heart's breaking, they're looking for answers. So um, let's, let's get at it. But there'll be a little bit of chit-chat to kind of build involvement and put them at ease a little bit. Point B, I usually start by explaining what the procedures are going to be. And uh, here's what would happen. Let's just say that the couple coming in to see me is Roger and Teresa, and I would welcome them. So I'm so glad you're here. And I would say, I've read your personal data inventory. Thank you both for filling those out. I really appreciate that. And uh, I've read your basic information sheets. That's been very helpful to me. And um, I'm very interested in trying to help you. And let me just kind of outline what's going to happen in our uh, time together today. In just a moment, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to start asking you some questions. And the reason for that is because the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. God says, if I try to give you advice on how to address these very important matters, if I try to give you advice without taking time to really understand all the details uh, about this matter, God says, I'm a fool and I would probably end up giving you bad advice. So uh, I don't want to be a fool in God's eyes, and you don't want bad advice. So uh, what I need to do today is I need to ask some questions, and what I need you folks to do is just be open and honest with me. And don't send me on a fishing expedition for the truth. If you do, I'll go fishing. But then it just takes me that much longer to get to the answers that um, I'm sure you want. So uh, 
with that in mind, let's pray. And I pray and, uh, for them. I pray for myself, pray for the session, ask for God's blessing. When I say amen, I start by asking for a brief life history. And I have found this to be very, very productive. I would strongly urge you to start this way by saying, listen, I want to get to know each of you. And, and um, I'd like each of you to go back and tell me when you were born and raised, what kind of home you were in. Describe your preschool days for me, what your home life was like. Describe what school days were like. Tell me what you were like as a junior in, in high school. And uh, tell me what you did right after you graduated. And kind of put your life in chronological order. I usually say to people, I'm not looking for somebody to blame stuff on. But I do want to know about this, how you got started in life, what your home life was like. And then I want to know after high school particularly, the different people and events that changed the, the, your life and the various zigs and zags that your life has taken to get you to this point. And uh, we got a lot to do in this session, so take maybe seven, ten minutes. I usually start with the husband. And um, after he's done, I'll start with the wife. And I have found that information that really helps me to understand people and later to minister to them effectively and also to help me get on base with them, to, to build counseling involvement. As they tell their life story, I get all kinds of good information that helps me connect with them. And um, I would urge you to, to do that. So ask for a brief life history. That's followed by extensive and intensive data gathering. And if you remember from your training in fundamentals class, extensive data gathering is the big, broad, major areas of life. And most people would think there's, you know, like six, seven major areas we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about their spiritual life, husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships. We're going to talk about their work or school obligations. Sometimes we talk about finances related with that. We're going to talk about their health. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, um, the, the, certainly the current concerns that bring them in. And what I've learned to say to people is this. Look, I've read your documents. I know that you're here because you want to talk about marital issues. But, um, and that's what's brought you here. But nobody has just one problem in life. And what I want to do is get the lay of the land. I want to get the big picture of what your life is like. So let me ask some questions about some other areas. And we're going to get to the marriage in just a bit. And I'll start and go around, and I will end up with the major issues that have brought them in, the current concerns. That's extensive data gathering, big, broad, major areas of life. The intensive data gathering is where you go to a particular area and you ask multiple questions about that area. So if we're talking about parent-child relationships, we're going to ask multiple questions, four to six, maybe seven questions in that area. And then we go and talk about work or school, uh, finances. We're going to ask four, five, six questions in that area. That's the intensive data gathering in each of those areas. So there should be extensive and intensive data gathering. Now, in my experience, one of the most frequently uh, violated scriptures by beginning biblical counselors is Proverbs 18.13. And the way it's violated is, uh, counselors spend too little time gathering data before they start telling people how to rearrange their life. And um, I would just suggest as a rule of thumb in session one when you're meeting with somebody that your data gathering probably ought to be in the neighborhood of 45 minutes. And um, um, if you don't do that, then you typically fail to build involvement and you will miss key information that helps you 
understand. You know, a moment ago I told you about this dear lady that uh, sent me the audio that um, was uh, a hard one to listen to. And um, the woman was crying. She's obviously heartbroken. And the counselor gathered data for about 17 minutes, or 18 minutes or so, and then started teaching on the biblical teaching about divorce. And uh, went on an extended study, and she's going from one passage to another and talking about that. And uh, you can hear the woman crying in the background and gets down toward the end where she's basically telling the woman that it's wrong for her divorce. She needs to keep living with her husband. And the counselee informs her, well, uh, my husband has beat me in the past and there's a restraining order and we've been separated for four months. Oops. She learned that one way too late. And that's what happens when you don't gather data. You don't have an accurate understanding of the circumstances. And so your counsel is off. You see? So you do extensive and intensive data gathering. Now, after you've done that, there ought to be some scriptural teaching to give hope and build commitment. Um, I am of the persuasion that in session one, you do not have to address directly the issues that brought people in for counseling. But you have to do something to point them toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. So I would encourage you to develop some ways, you know, two or three ways that you can do that. I'll mention three that I use frequently. Number one is I use sometimes what I call the do right, do wrong chart. And if you've seen the, the video or the DVD with me counseling Trey and Deb, you see me on the whiteboard drawing the do right, do wrong chart. And I like that because it explains to people not only why I think I could help them, but how I'm going to do it. And I think it has a way of building involvement with people. And if I have time, I like to do that one. But sometimes you don't have time. So uh, another passage that I like to, another way of doing it is I like to take my, open my Bible to Matthew 11, 28 to 30, spin it around, give it to the counselees and ask them to read where Christ says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. You shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I have them read that, and I have them hold my Bible, and then I explain, I unpack what that verse teaches. I found that to be very, very effective. And then another way that I have found effective is um, if I really get jammed up one time, I like to use Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where um, Solomon, speaking to his sons, says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. And you can unpack that passage uh, very quickly and in a very hope-giving way and talk about the fact if you'll come back and let me work with you, we're going to pay attention to your heart, what's inside you. Because the wisest man who ever lived apart from, apart from Jesus Christ said to his boys as he's talking to them about the, about the issues of life, pay attention to what's inside you, your heart, your deepest longings, your aspirations, your dreams, your motives. Pay attention to what's inside there because what's inside controls all this stuff out here. And so if you'll come back and let me work with you, we're going to focus on what's in your heart, but we're also going to address what's out here that your heart is influencing. So you've got to do something to point people toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. 
scriptural teaching to give hope and to build commitment. Then at, toward the end of the session, you'll need to assign homework. And um, uh, we believe that the counseling session is not the magic hour of the week, that the people really grow and change, not so much when they're across from us, but people really grow and change when they take what we've taught or what we're trying to accomplish through the homework and they seek to understand it and apply it uh, in, uh, during the week. So we're going to give people homework. And that ought to be followed by a closing exhortation or encouragement and or prayer. And um, with people that I supervise, uh, I've learned there's great value in asking people as part of their preparation to prepare a tentative agenda for every session. And I ask them, you, you need to prepare a tentative homework. I keep saying tentative because you get in the session, some things may happen and Instead of zigging, you may decide to zag. And, um, but you've got something tentative. You've thought through, if things go the way I think it's going to go in this session, here's what I'll give them for homework. And it would address the six key areas that I've already taught you on what a good, robust homework would include. Okay, that's the first time session. Let me just pause. Questions on that? Any questions on that? I have one. Is it usually just an hour, or do you um, schedule it for longer than the other sessions? Yeah, the question is, uh, do I, the session usually an hour, or do you schedule it longer? Um, I usually like to schedule counseling sessions about an hour and a half apart, and my goal is that the counseling session itself will be about an hour, hour and five, maybe an hour and ten, but, you know, about an hour. A lot can get done in one hour if you're well-prepared, and you take control of the session and guide it with a bit of skill, so a little bit of flex. And I like, ideally, there's going to be people sitting in as observers or trainees, and so I like some time after the counselee leaves that they can ask questions, why do you do this, how come about that, um, and we can talk a little bit, and you still got time to get a cup of coffee, hit the restroom, you know, and then start the next session on time. So I think there's wisdom in scheduling about an hour and a half apart. Yes, sir? Yeah. yeah, the question is, uh, if I, do I observe that people are reticent about observers and so forth? Um, <clears throat> well, um, yes and no. Um, when people walk in, I, th I think one thing is that if you make that the policy at your church, and I would be an advocate of that, that, that at our church we do team counseling. And partly because I would argue as a pastor that my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And one of the best ways for any of you in spiritual leadership to equip others for the work of the ministry is let them watch you try to help people that are struggling and see you minister the Word of God. And um, I've told multiple pastors, um, in my opinion, they need to have somebody watching them as a trainee, probably about 80% of the counseling they do. And um, recently I was talking with a pastor of a sizable church, and he told me he seldom has anybody with him and I said well I hope you'll repent of that real quick <laughs> and we talked about it and I said in my mind I mean you know Ephesians 4 don't you well I know that I know there are times when people need to have the opportunity to talk to their pastor alone That's, and he needs to have some time set apart for that 
well, most of the counseling he was doing was people coming from the community. I said, you can have people sitting in. So, um, so I'm used to having people sit in. And um, by way of illustration to address the issue, uh, for over 24 years, um, I was on the staff at Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries in Lafayette in the counseling and the training center. And um, we always had people sitting in with us, usually two. And um, over the years, people come in and say, oh, I didn't know people would be here. And I just say, well, uh, yeah, this is not only a counseling center, this is a training center. And these folks are, are counselors who are here getting some more training and they're assisting me. And just say that and just go on. That would settle with most people. Uh, <clears throat> and I would say, you know, it's a little bit like the IU, Indiana University Hospital in downtown Indianapolis. It's not just a hospital for patients, it's a teaching hospital. So if you're a patient there, it's not one doctor that comes in and pokes you, it's three or four or five. And um, it's because it, it's a teaching hospital. So I just explained that. In the 24 years, there was one time some guy came in and he told me that he just, he was very upset about the, the trainees being here and that he had something super duper serious he needed to talk to me about and he wanted to talk to me about it alone. And I resisted, but he pressed and um, I finally relented and asked my trainees to leave. And 10 minutes after they walked out of the room, I knew I'd made a mistake. And I never did that again. And um, in the, but I just, I learned to say to people, I said, listen, you know, I don't live here. I drive an hour and 15 minutes to get here. And I said, if I can be blunt with you, what motivates me to drive up here on Mondays is not you, it's them. And then they leave, my reason for being here is left. So that's the way we do it here. If you don't like here, I'm sure there's someplace else you can find free biblical counseling. But that's the way we do it here. And it's a non-issue. So. All right, one more, then we're going to move on. Yes? Can you talk about different situations? Because I know you talked about the data gathering before, where like you're doing a married couple or a parent-child. You're gathering data. Is there a time when you would want to separate people to get the data? Yeah, the question is about uh, are there times when you would separate people to get the data? Uh, that might come uh, on down the road, maybe session three or four or so, but not usually not in session one. You know, sometimes I will divide the, like a husband and wife, say on session four or five or so. And what I usually do is I go down to the waiting room and I say, listen, I want to do something different today. I'd like to talk to each of you for 15 to 20 minutes alone, and then we'll spend the last 15 to 20 minutes together. And that turns out to be helpful. Okay, I just looked at my clock. It says that I'm uh, moving too slow. So <laughs> let's, let's move on. <clears throat> We've talked about preparing a tentative agenda for a first-time session. Let's talk now, what would an agenda be for um, a counseling uh, case that's in process? Well, it would start with chit-chat, building involvement. You're going to pray for them, for you and the session. And then point C, you're going to need to assess whether to pursue your agenda or if it needs to be modified. I have learned, to, I frequently ask one of the following questions at the beginning of a session to help me determine how to proceed. For example, when people sit down, I will ask sometimes, are there any changes in your circumstances that I ought to know about which might change how I use the time with you in this session? And a lot of times people say no, but other times they said, well, um, our son was in a serious automobile accident yesterday. He's in the hospital now. He's probably going to have surgery tomorrow. All right? That bit of information changes my agenda. Okay? But, so you just ask, anything happening that I ought to know about? 
Or sometimes I like to ask the question, and this is one of my favorites, how did what we talked about last session help you this week? Or how did it influence how you think and behave this week? Or the question, how did the homework I gave you last session impact your thinking and behavior this week? And um, I'm really a big fan of using those last two questions because it communicates to people this is not just a Bible study. This is not just a chit-chat session. We're, we're talking about change here. I'm expecting something to happen as a result of what, um, what we've been doing. Point D, there should be homework review with clarification and application of what he is learning. And if you write good homework this week, it becomes a very effective agenda next week. Then that's to be followed by teaching. And the teaching may be accomplished, in fact, frequently is accomplished, through the uh, homework. But there are times when you may decide, okay, I need to move on beyond the, the, um, the, the homework. And so the question that sometimes comes up is, okay, what am I going to teach? Here are three questions you can ask to help you to decide what to teach in the counseling session. Uh, the first one. What biblical truths could I teach this counselee, which, if heard and obeyed, would move him forward toward greater godliness and solving the problems that brought him in to see me? In other words, uh, what could I teach that's going to help him in multiple areas of his life? Or another question, in this session, would the counselee be helped the most if I focused on fruit issues or root issues? That's a good way to help you think through what to teach. Or this one, what does this counselee lack the most? Do they lack an understanding of or obedience to biblical truth? And I have found that contemplating those questions helped me. So do some teaching. Point F, in the session you'll need to assign homework and that's followed by a closing exhortation, encouragement, and or prayer. And I have followed that agenda hundreds and hundreds of times in a counseling session. That will work. All right, moving on. Number five, you'll need to prepare a tentative homework. And in my mind, good, robust homework addresses six key areas where I'm trying to help my counselees to develop spiritual disciplines. So good, robust homework is going to have assigned strategic scripture reading. Uh, you know, somebody... Uh, if a man's coming to see you because he's struggling with pornography, all the Bible is inspired and all is, is profitable, but there's going to be some parts more profitable for him than others. And part of your job is to get him pointed toward the scriptures that are going to be particularly helpful to him. So it's strategic scripture reading. There ought to be meaningful scripture memory. Um, there ought to be theological reading that explains uh, biblical principles and application pertinent to his problems. That's part of the reason we have these resources out here. We want you to be aware of what's out there that can be used to help reach people. Point D, there ought to be doing that points the person toward godly conduct in the areas of concern. There ought to be church service attendance and note-taking regarding the lesson or the sermon and its application to his life. There ought to be fervent, focused prayer for himself, the key individuals and the problems, areas, and the counselors. So in my mind, good, robust homework addresses these six key areas on a consistent basis. Prepare tentative homework prior to the session and then finalize it when the person is sitting there in front of you. Number six, prepare the counselee. Uh, I would exhort you to greet him warmly and optimistically. 
I would encourage you to communicate hope and encouragement by your demeanor. If you've been meditating on the scripture, you realize that the word of God is quick and powerful and, and, and can change people from the inside out. If your own heart is strengthening the inner man, then when you go to greet people, I mean, there, there ought to be something about your countenance, just by your face. I mean, that optimism, the man, I mean, this is exciting that the way I like to think of it is I love going to a counseling session because I got a front row seat to watch God change somebody. And uh, that optimism ought to uh, mark your life and your demeanor. So if you'll do these six things, I would say you are prepared. Now minister God's life-changing word to hurting people. You can do it.